Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have an amazing conversation to share with you. On today's episode, we had the opportunity to speak with a man named Sam Waters. Uh, Sam is of Dutch descent and he is an expert at making the complicated simple when it comes to cryptocurrencies, blockchain, Bitcoin, and everything of the sort. In this conversation, I very much had the uh, intention to start with a simple view. I'm imagining as if my boomer parents were listening to this and uh, needed to be familiarized with some of the more basic terminology of uh, you know the crypto world, including blockchain and Bitcoin and uh, you know the very simple basics. Uh, we built upon that to get up to a very interesting topic of NFTs and the world that is out there right now and some of the other future applications uh, of this technology. It's a very exciting space. It's very interesting to me, especially at this time where you know the earlier you can understand it, the earlier you can master it and take advantage of some of these new technologies. And I appreciate what Sam does in spreading the word and making the complicated simple uh, on this topic and accelerating the transition to these better uh, blockchain-based systems. Uh, for that reason, I had an incredible conversation. It was a really great time, and I'm glad that uh, you know we had this opportunity to talk today, and I'm sure that you will enjoy it as well. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Sam Waters. Hey, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real honor to have you on the show. Happy to be on here, Patrick. For the audience out there who is not quite familiar with your work just yet, uh, or perhaps they're not just yet, could you tell them a little bit about uh, who you are, where you're coming from, and what you do? Sure. Uh, so I'm Dutch, so based out of Europe, for, uh, for those who are uh, geographically aware. <laughs> Uh, so one of my focuses is on the, like specifically on Bitcoin, but sort of broader the cryptocurrency and blockchain space and focus there is on education because there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people interested in this because it's so new, so different, so, so challenging of many of the things that you understand, uh, but they struggle to really get into it. And, uh, that's where I try to help people out to make that as simple as possible. Where did the journey begin for you? When did you first hear about Bitcoin and blockchain and how did you educate yourself to the point of being able to teach it to other people? Yeah, so that's like, I guess the, the last thing you're bringing up there is like, how did you get to that point? That's really what motivated me. Like, I don't want anyone to go through this pain, but uh, at least initially. So it started, I'd say relatively early on, uh, back in like 2013, 14 or something. I first came across it and the first thing that, came to my mind was like, hmm, this seems like something that's too good to be true. So what's the catch? That was my first kind of skeptical take on it uh, because there was this big promise of like a decentralized money that nobody was in control of. And I just couldn't quite imagine how something like that could work. 
because I hadn't, or so I thought, really encountered anything like it until I really started digging into it. And it's like, well, it's not that different from the internet in some ways. So uh, I came across it during my studies. Uh, a friend actually forwarded it to me, who I was working on a project with at the time. And he was like, you should check this thing out. He was just as skeptical as me. And uh, both of us spent the next few months trying to dive into it and find a lot of roadblocks there. Like, how, how does all of this work? What are all the different components that make something like Bitcoin work? You have the blockchain that people hear a lot about, but, you know, like, what's the thing like that look like? And by diving into these topics, you start realizing, well, actually, I don't know anything about how the current system works either. I just use it as, as I've been taught from when I was a small kid but uh, never really asked those questions like who's in charge of the money supply or the rules of the system. So as you start to learn more about something new, you actually learn to question the old as well. And it really does help you to uh, sort of understand better what you're looking at and what kind of questions you should be asking. That's very interesting. I didn't consider it from that perspective before where I, I had a similar experience where uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency starts to come around and naturally you want to compare it to what currently exists. And it's not really until you do that, that you realize how little you really knew about currency and, and money and uh, where it comes from and where the value is, is originated. And so that's very interesting. It requires that contrast to really even understand uh, both systems. Yeah. I, I'm I mean, it took yeah. me, Oh, sorry, it took me quite a few months to like even feel like I had a basic understanding of it, uh, just because back then there was so much technical information out there and very little that wasn't technical, as people are obviously trying to get other people involved that could make it a bit more user-friendly even. So uh, that took quite a long time. It was quite challenging. And I think like that sort of like hinting at the the title of this podcast in general, like the knowledge without college idea, I did really realize like nobody's going to teach me this. There are no courses on this. Uh, there are no guides anywhere that just explain it to you from A to Z. But it seemed interesting enough after some initial exploration to start diving into it, which uh, took a fair bit of time and people in the space refer to as going down the rabbit hole. Uh, and it, it does feel, really feel that way. But uh, it's, it's a very rewarding experience where you feel like, oh, I actually sort of mastered this or Mastering is a big word, but really learned a lot about myself by putting in the hours and the effort because it's just after work, every evening spending several hours going across all these discussion threads and trying to figure out the right people to follow. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a super interesting experience, just a bit time consuming when uh, the guides and, and all the easy info isn't out there yet. But that's changed a lot, of course. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really uh, remarkable to hear that you were in this space uh, you know, in 2013, 2014, and being able to, you know, there was very, very little information uh, available at the time. And we've seen over the past, I'd say, especially since 2017, we've seen the sort of general consciousness around Bitcoin and, you know, the collective understanding of uh, blockchain definitely increase significantly as you see it get sort of, you know, stories picked up by major publications and it gets talked about on, uh, you know, channels like in the United States here, you know, like uh, CNBC, like it, it starts to get picked up by mainstream media channels and uh, the words just start to even get out there further enough where, you know, now my parents have an idea. They know Bitcoin is a thing. They still have no idea how it works. Part of the reason why I'm excited to have you here today is to go through some of that, you know, basic understanding for, you know, for the layman, for the average person, because, uh, you know, to me, when I see something like this, similar to you, 
it's really one of the most exciting things ever. You know, it's like being involved in the internet in the, you know, mid nineties and realizing how this is going to be the future and also being in a position where there's so much opportunity at the beginning of that cycle. There's always the most opportunity in these, uh, you know, technological booms really before everyone has a full understanding of it. Once everyone knows about it and knows what it is, chances are the, the lowest hanging fruit is already gone. And so that's what's really interesting to me at this current stage that we're at is this is radically accelerating into the public consciousness, radically accelerating. And especially the, it's almost like every single day, it seems like Bitcoin is becoming more and more important. Uh, cryptocurrencies are becoming more and more essential. And, uh, you know, we're still at this stage where half the population, if not more, have no clue how any of this works. And this could be the technology that defines, you know, our institutions and our systems of government and our systems of working together and, and conducting so many different, uh, you know, pieces of our day-to-day -day lives uh, in the next, you know, future or, the, you know, the next few decades and for, you know, until a better system comes, you know, the next boom. But this is such a significant technological leap and so few understand it. So I, you know, just want to say, I appreciate what you're doing, sort of explaining it to people. And I, I'm really curious to hear, how do you begin this, uh, your education process with the average person who may know nothing about it? Sure. So I think a lot of empathy is is kind of the right approach to go about it. A lot of people that learn about this get very passionate about it and very enthusiastic, and that's great. But you start to shape a certain idea in your head of, of what Bitcoin means to you or, or what whatever other project means to you. And then a lot of people try to project that onto someone else, like trying to explain them sort of that same kind of abstract idea that they have in their head to make it clear to them what Bitcoin is, how it could change the world. And like, while that can work, sometimes you'll have a hit and someone will like kind of process it in a similar way to how you are. I think in general, a, a, a better approach that I've experienced when you speak to various people with various backgrounds or interests is try to figure out how is this relevant to them rather than this is what I want to tell you that I've learned, which will very often be their perspective. Like, yeah, just tell me why this is interesting. But I try to figure out like, okay, what could it mean for them? Because if you ask them some questions, you try to figure out maybe some of their background, uh, what their interests are, then it's much easier and quicker to get to the point where they at least find it worth diving into this deeper because they have realized that it could play some kind of role in their life. And to give you a very practical example there, it's like speaking to someone living in a first world country and you have this idea in your head of how Bitcoin is amazing for remittances and how it's going to make this so much cheaper for everyone. Uh, and you try to explain it to a first, wor first world person that never does international transactions. That's just not going to hit home. Like even though they will understand, yes, this will help some other people, it doesn't help them personally. But if you talk to them about how there's inflation, for example, and you ask them about like how they see the future, if they're saving money, et cetera, uh, how they see their investments and things, that's going to be a lot more real because that's actually something that concerns them. Am I going to have a pension or, or like what's going to happen to the investments and the money that I have within 20 years, for example. So it's about figuring out what makes sense for these people. What kind of angle might they be interested in? Perhaps they're just tech enthusiasts and then talking to them about the technology and what kind of new things it enables will get to the point where they're interested in it much quicker. So for me, always when I, when I try to explain someone how this might be relevant to them or, or sort of like give them a first basic understanding, I try to focus on that area of like, how can I get you to the point where you at least realize this is worth 
spending some more time on because I'm never going to explain you everything about it in our first five or 10 minute conversation. I think that's a great approach. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. So, and I think you had a really great example as well, where there's many applications uh, for people in a third world country, but there, a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around what do we need a new currency for, especially if you live in a, a fairly stable country or, you know, any real first world country where, you know, the currency is not, uh, where it is stable. So where, where do you begin with someone in that category? Yeah. So if like, if their currency is pretty stable, it's always like, yeah, it's a bit of a matter of perspective as well. You know, what's stable, uh, because like I live in a first world country and privileged enough to, to, to live there, but an inflation of 2% over 25 or 30 years still means my purchasing power would have in that time period. And you know that if your money is in the bank, it's not going to like do anything. It's going to lose its value. So that's not a good option. And then people start feeling this pressure of, oh, that means I need to do stuff with my money and being incentivized or pushed to do stuff with my money. I can't just have it sit there, even though I like to have a buffer for rough times. So then people need to actively make a choice to start investing. And a lot of people, at least my age anyway, are not that like, like it's not really like a hobby for them or something to start doing this or something to start thinking about. And at the same time, a lot of people do question like, okay, do I want someone else to do this for me with my money, given how this has gone wrong in the past with, uh, you know, like the crises, et cetera, we just give your money to the, to the, into the custody of someone else to make these decisions with. And even then, like, is, is that going to give me the kind of returns? Uh, for, for me, if I look back at it, my parents, for example, they saved money for each of the three children in the family. Uh, and for my sister, they they invested this and made a little bit of profit. For me, it was like just under break even. And for my brother, they just had to pull out early because the bankers essentially couldn't keep making money there. Uh, so I think if you would have spoken to my parents back then and Bitcoin would have existed, one of the easiest ways to convince them would have been like, hey, like you're trying to invest all this money and stuff and you're giving it to people that are su supposed to know what, what to do with it and how to make a return but it's really quite difficult and there's so many things out there. So like, yeah, that's a, a point to start getting them interested in. Okay. Is there any kind of other way? Isn't there some kind of store of value for the long run that does not just lose its value slowly over time. And that's no guarantee with Bitcoin, just like it isn't with gold or with any, like with real estate or anything like that. So it's also always important to do your research there and get educated on anything that you might invest in. But there, there's a new kind of alternative here, which I believe is quite interesting for people to, to at least, you know, get an understanding of, get a basic understanding of to get into. In order to understand Bitcoin, you know, I feel like you must also describe blockchain and sort of how that technology is, is revolutionary and uh, important. Where, where would you begin in that regard? So it's something I built up over the years through through speaking to a lot of people and 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 doing a lot of presentations and workshops and things is kind of a framework for myself where I try to sort of explain it layer by layer because it's really easy in a conversation to jump from one thing to the other and people start asking questions and you derail it very quickly. So I have this image that I uh, like to use there which is sort of a cheat sheet to understanding what all of those layers are. And it really starts like sort of at the core, if people are interested in blockchain in general, like what is a blockchain at its core? It's a proof of an order of events. So you manage to put that into a chain so that you always have a verifiable history of what happened in which specific order. 
And for Bitcoin, that is, in which order did the transactions happen? On another blockchain, it might be in which order did uh, someone register a certain piece of data and where did they send it to next? So there could be lots of different use cases, but that's always what a blockchain comes back to in its essence. And at the same time, it's also a protocol to be able to communicate what that order of events is. So it combines those two things in one so that we can, whenever there's any kind of use case where we might want to uh, like store a record of things over time that's important enough, you're not going to do it for every small little thing in the world. But if it's important enough, then we now have a way to always order it properly and to communicate to each other to make sure that we always know what that order is. So that's sort of where things start in their essence. And then you can start looking at, okay, well, well, if that's the kind of system that we want, that's great in theory, but how do we set that up in such a way that it doesn't mess up? Because you can think of a million ways where things would go wrong. And that's where you start thinking of the decentralized aspect. Okay, nobody should be in charge of this because if they are, they could just mess with that order of events. That doesn't make sense. And then we need a way to agree with each other without getting into arguments where one person has a louder voice and they still get to change whatever way things work. And through that system, through setting that up, you you get into a sort of a space where you can make this history immutable, as people like to call it, where you cannot change the past anymore. So where you will always record the events that happen and nobody individually has the power to change that. Uh, and through doing that, you can also ensure if you have this group of people together or group of computers in, in many cases, that uh, nobody can just censor what's happening. You decide together what the rules of that system are, how you're going to record that sort of order of events that happens, and then you just let it run. Nobody needs to interfere in, in what's going to go in there. Things just happen. People send each other transactions, and everything gets added to that logbook. So once you have the, the core of the system, the like the essence of what a blockchain is, and you've sort of thought about like what are the fundamentals to make the system work so that it doesn't go down or become corrupted in some way, then there's a bunch of building blocks that are needed to make that happen. Because yeah, just explaining we have a proof of an order of events is very abstract. Like, what does that look like? Show me the different Lego blocks to put this thing together. And then you get cryptography, which has existed for decades, which is all about securing information and, and being able to encrypt it and to do various things with it. You have the digital assets themselves. So Bitcoins are digital assets, but you have many different tokens. People are very uh, like interested nowadays in NFTs, the non-fungible tokens. So, so these are like different kinds of unique tokens that aren't interchangeable like a Bitcoin would be. So you can just make it a unique piece of data. Then the way the transactions work, that is one of the building blocks that needs to be defined somewhere in a computer program. So that if I want to send you a transaction, it actually arrives at your place. Uh, and then you have the network itself over which we send that transaction. You have the database in which we store that transaction on all of these different nodes in the network. And so you kind of get the idea, like we keep going there, you keep adding building blocks and putting everything together. So if you can give someone a framework like that to, to help them understand how it works, then once they get through all of those different steps, you can also start explaining, well, what are the implications of all of this? If we can set up such a system that people can't corrupt, where everyone can send transactions to each other and we record it in a secure way, what does that mean for the world? And what can we start doing with that? And that's like, it's a very sort of uplifting kind of story of it opens up all of these new possibilities, but then it's also good to make people aware of the challenges and the risks. 
And this is typically something that already happens quite early in the conversation when I have it with people. In, in trying to figure out what, what they know about it, that will be one of my first questions. They say, tell me about Bitcoin. I'll tell them, well, what do you know about it so far? And usually it will be things that they picked somewhere up from the media around uh, how, how, like, how uh, hackers use it or something or how criminals use it or how uh, they actually saw that some Bitcoin was stolen somewhere. So how does that work? Are there any risks? So in doing that, people are already aware of some of the risks or the challenges, but they don't always understand them. So that's also good to, to take into this conversation. But uh, one step at a time is really what I try to focus on because now I'm giving you the sort of the fast breakdown. Yes. But sort of the whole framework that I'm trying to explain there is something that typically you could like spend days on to gradually break down and really make someone sort of fundamentally aware. But you can also just give them the sort of the super fast like a elevator pitch of, of what it is and what it means, you're just going to have more misses in some ways if uh, you don't know where they're coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. It can be challenging. I'm sure to fill in the gaps, you know, of everybody's understanding and getting all of those pieces to sort of click into place, especially if you're not already somewhat familiar with like how the you know internet and computers already work, um, you know, and how this is sort of a new layer of technology that sort of combines many functions and features uh, to deliver this sort of new frontier of potential. Where, uh, I mean, is the motivation for you to do this? Is it, you know, like, where does that stem from? Is this, a, you know, you mentioned earlier that you had your own frustration in figuring this out, working with limited resources, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know seven, eight years ago or whatever it is now. Um, but what, what's your motivation to continue doing it today after, you know, many more, you know, there's so, there's a lot of, a lot more content. It's becoming more mainstream. Like where, where does, uh, where's your motivation stem from to continue this journey? Yeah. Great question. Uh, I initially, when I first learned about it, someone, I think it was, uh, at my university, they, they were aware I was interested in it. They were like, well, actually there's this, uh, company I know and they're hosting some kind of event and they're looking for speakers. So what do you think about talking about this there? And I'd given presentations in the past, like during my studies about different subjects. And I was always the person who didn't mind going first. Like, I'll just go, I'll just do my story. And it, it doesn't matter if you go first or last, but you obviously always had the people that didn't want to go and waited till the end. But I was just like, well, I can I can put my story out there and, and see what it means for people and, and how it can help them. And the first time, of course, was a fiasco. I think I had like a, a laptop crash in the middle of the presentation and uh, like sweating buckets as people do and, and really nervous. Yeah. But afterwards I realized like, well, I see a lot of things that I could improve here. And there were people in the audience that were actually like somewhat mind blown or interested in, in what I was talking about. So there's potential there. And I realized like sort of the learning process that I had gone through and also what it meant for me as a person having learned about this and getting to the point where I figured out, I feel like I sort of understand it. And I'm really glad I didn't initially dismiss it because you read a lot of stories from people that are like, oh yeah, I first learned about Bitcoin in 2014, but I dismissed it. And then I came upon it three years later again, realizing it was still alive. But when I first learned about it, I actually realized like, whoa, if this is not a corruptible system as so many others are, and if it's just designed to essentially feed off of the greed that people have to secure it because by securing it people get a reward in return so it has that super powerful incentive mechanism embedded in it and i just realized like i i don't see how people could stop this if it really takes off 
So I figured like, it's just such a fundamental change from, and so fundamentally different from many of the things we're used to. I strongly believe in this, but if it's going to be this technical, then for a lot of people, it's going to take a very long time before they understand it. So that's where I started realizing, okay, I want to do a lot more of this, this education through writing, through presentations, uh, through like just longer workshops to, to just help people do a transaction for the first time, that kind of stuff. So in doing that, like it's, it's very rewarding work in the sense that you're teaching people and it like, of course, also when you're teaching, you learn a lot more about what you're doing because people ask all kinds of questions. Uh, and then you start making it an art when, when you tell a story or when you do a presentation to already have the answer to the next question, you know, they will have when they see the thing that you show them, which is a, like a quite a fun thing to do because they'll just sit there with an open mouth. Like that's exactly what I was going to ask. And here I get the answer. So like it's, that's kept it very interesting over the years because you get a lot of different questions and you keep tweaking and fine tuning the story. Um, and of course now it's going more mainstream. So there's way more people out there, but at the same time, you see that some of the values or some of the things that are actually fundamentally important for this in the long run, they're not being looked at as much anymore because a lot of people don't really know what makes a good blockchain, for example, like what makes it secure or, or when is it actually decentralized? And most people don't care and, or they don't want to care because it's just profitable to jump onto the next thing that's getting a lot of hype uh, where plenty of money can be made. So they all get enthusiastic and they share it with each other and everyone invests, but they're all investing with the hope like this is going to be the next Bitcoin or the next thing that's going to grow times 50 so I can make a lot of money. Uh, and a lot of that sort of sentiment has come in, obviously, with it going mainstream. It's very focused on price. Uh, a lot of people question like, hey, how about this ethos of helping a lot of people around the world get access to financial services that currently don't have it? And that still exists. And it's in some ways, the motivation is fighting the good fight in some ways and and, and trying to make sure that that kind of thought and, and these kind of initiatives stay out there. So it's also highlighting the projects uh, that's something that we try to do with our work is highlighting projects that are making like actual meaningful progress that aren't just releasing a lot of uh, PR stuff, but aren't fundamentally doing meaningful things uh, and just helping those to get out there so that they can do their things as well to reach more people. So, yeah, I think it's just that just there are so many people left, as you mentioned at the start, that don't know what this is and how, how it could help them. And I fundamentally believe that it can help a lot of people. And I really hope that it does. And if I can do something to make it more accessible for people to start learning about it, then that feels like a nice thing to, to dedicate time to. Uh, and, you know, I don't need to help everyone or convince everyone at all, but everyone that you do help is a, yeah, it's a good feeling. It's a good thing to, to create content as you're doing as well with the podcast. It's a, like, you, you never know who exactly is listening, but if it means something to them in their day, it's a, it's a good feeling. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And, and again, I appreciate, you know, you doing that because, uh, you know, I think the more content out there, the more, uh, sort of lessons available or the more resources available for someone to learn about this stuff, you know, it's actually faster. It's accelerating the transition, uh, you know, to this new technology, which again, has so many amazing potential benefits. Could you touch on any of the projects that you think are making one of those differences? You know, you mentioned that you like to highlight some of the projects that are doing something special, doing something that's, you know, more than 
just trying to get a 50x return on a on an investment. What are some of those projects that excite you? Sure. So, so because I initially got into it from the technological side, I've also always been appreciative of people that keep building there and keep trying to improve the technology. So, so all of the sort of infrastructure projects around Bitcoin, for example, that are building a more scalable solution uh, through the Lightning Network. For for me, a lot of these technical people are sort of the unsung heroes. They're not going to get the same kind of press releases. Uh, in a lot of cases, they have to really try to get some funding from big companies that are profiting enormously from uh, this taking off so hard. But all of them together, just, just working on the tech and not even like I'm doing the education, it's, it's talking, it's writing, it's a totally different skill set. But all these developers that are just putting their heads down and trying to figure out the super complicated problems that make all of it work and that ensure that this will work in 20 years. That's like, for me, the first group I would shout out to before even any kind of company or, or project because they're not companies they're just individuals trying to contribute uh, so for me those are the yeah just the biggest ones in general and then I think there's there's companies that are trying to like as mentioned earlier the remittance part uh, and like I, I don't know I'm not specifically gonna look for name dropping for, for like all of the different companies that I think are interesting because are, there's quite a lot but in general, companies that are interested in helping the people who could use it the most, so through privacy technology, I think is always a, a very powerful thing there to help protect people who might be under oppressive regimes. And that sounds like, yeah, it's a simple thing to say, but like I have so many days where I realize how, how lucky I am that I was born in a first world country where I don't have to deal with these kinds of super political or, or dangerous or war-like situations. And I just can't imagine what it's like for those people. So, so anyone helping to provide these people tools to preserve their, their wealth and to prefer, preserve their privacy, I think that's just amazing. Uh, I would some, Sometimes I think I would love to work on this too, but it's not close enough to me because I, as mentioned, I didn't grow up in this country. So the intrinsic motivation is a bit different there. I just have a lot of respect for the people working on that. Uh, and if, if I can do anything to also educate those people, then that's where I feel like I can contribute the best. So it's like anything, yeah, as mentioned, educational efforts too. I think anyone just going out there to translate all of this content to a different language, to Spanish, to Portuguese, to uh, Japanese, to whatever language it is, like it's, yeah, it's also very powerful work to be able to make this more accessible for a lot of countries because Unfortunately, not everyone uh, speaks English and is able to understand all of these technical terms. So that's a huge uh, added value, I think. And then a lot of ways where people are looking into making it more accessible for everyone, making it simpler. And you hear me talk a lot about the sort of the, the underlying stuff, not so much the, the flashy projects or the new things that are being built on top, because that's in general where I feel like there is already a lot of attention. Everyone knows the topic changes uh, everyone sort of understands what all these projects are doing and where they're making money and everything. There's so many wallets out there, et cetera. Uh, but that stuff that's happening behind the scenes, that's where I think there's a lot of uh, yeah, interesting things going on that people aren't always as aware of. Uh, and yeah, those will ultimately be the ones that enable those, those companies on the front line to help them to change the world in many ways. So, uh, yeah, just so much stuff uh, going on. Is there anything that you are like looking at or that you're, you're, you're really focused on in this space in general? 
For me, um, you know, actually over the past couple of weeks, you know, I've been hearing about NFTs quite a bit and it was something that, you know, for, for the audience, you know, there's, uh, in addition to Bitcoin, there's a lot of other cryptocurrencies out there. The next most prominent would be Ethereum. And my understanding, and please correct me if I'm describing this wrong, but is that Ethereum essentially has a little bit, it's built on a blockchain, same as Bitcoin, and has additional features which allow for some, uh, has additional features which allow for Man, I'm trying to really explain this. I, I, I have, of, I have more uh, respect for what you do every second this podcast goes on. Uh, uh, it, no problem. Additional you're features. You're trying to say like on. different, yeah, different kinds of applications is what you're trying to get to. Because yeah, on it, Bitcoin, you have you have money as an application, so to speak. That's the yes. main focus of it. And it's always been intended by design to keep it simple. Because if you're going to store tremendous amounts of wealth and preserve wealth for a long period of time, then you don't want to do it on a system where anything is possible because that also opens up a whole can of worms for potential bugs and issues that occur. So the intention there was always, let's keep this simple, limit the amount of things that you can do on it so that, and not limited to like sort of caveman or, or early internet level, but it's, it's kept relatively primitive on purpose. And that has proven itself because there's been almost no downtime whatsoever over the past 12 years. I think there were like a couple hours back in 2010 or something. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to look it up exactly, but just insane uptime and almost never any catastrophic bugs or anything like that. So that's one way of looking at it, but that also means that it restricts what kind of things people could build on this blockchain. So with Ethereum, the philosophy there was, well, what if we actually make a blockchain where almost any kind of program is possible, where almost any kind of application, it could be quite complicated. Uh, and that was put out there a few years later after some of those creators started realizing, well, we can't change Bitcoin into something that does everything. So maybe we start a different system. And there are a lot of sort of design decisions involved in that and a lot of implications in the long run of how secure that system will be, how decentralized it will be, uh, if enough people will be able to be a participant in that network, like a participant that's aware of all of the data that's ever been stored. So there's a lot of these technical discussions around it, like what is this going to look like in the long run? But the idea there was, could we build different kinds of applications on top of it that will allow people to do things that they currently can do on Bitcoin? And that's where NFTs uh, initially as, like they've already existed for quite a long time. They first emerged on Bitcoin in 2014, but then a couple of years later, for example, CryptoKitties, which is something that went a little bit viral where people could own this, uh, sort of token on a blockchain and it represented this kind of yeah funny looking cat and all of these cats were unique so generated by the unique string of code in a transaction they could uh, create a little asset in some way a little cat asset that had unique visual appearances and then people could breed these cats to generate new ones so it sounds silly it's a bit of a game but it was a first application to start showing people what would be possible with these unique kind of tokens that aren't interchangeable, uh, similar to or, or dissimilar from something like a Bitcoin or a dollar. So that was the first kind of step there. And then people started figuring out, well, there, there are a lot more things that we could tokenize, as people call it these days. You can turn all kinds of things into tokens on a blockchain. The big question I always have and like to be critical about is, does it make sense to put everything on a blockchain? 
because there's a lot of ideas like, yeah, we could tokenize real estate where you put a whole apartment building on a blockchain. And then instead of someone having to buy an entire apartment, which is a pretty steep investment only for those who have enough money to do that, you could split an apartment up into a thousand or 10,000 owners or however many you would like. And then a lot more investors would be able to put a little bit of money into many more things. So that's also tokenizing something in the physical world and just making it more accessible. And this would be possible without a blockchain. You could just make a database in which you register this stuff and you have an interface where people can send their money to and buy shares and things. But through a blockchain, it's kind of like asking everyone to use the same kind of infrastructure so that we can all communicate with each other more easily. It's like asking everyone to have a phone in some ways because everyone knows how to call with a phone uh, and we don't have to all use a different kind of device for it. So it makes it easier for services to build on top of these things. Okay, if you wanna uh, like put information somewhere, then it makes sense to do that on a website and everyone uses the same interface so they know I can go to a website, get information there. So in a similar way, if we all decide to put our tokens on a blockchain, then people know like these are the types of interfaces that we can use to start exchanging these. So yeah, NFTs started coming up a lot, uh, especially now that a lot of brands and, and uh, artists as well are getting interested in, hey, could we do exclusive type of deals? Because brands like to be exclusive. They have very like a very strong fan base in many cases, artists and musicians and just famous people in general do too. So they're like, can we use this in some kind of commercial way to build a really strong connection with my biggest fans? Can I sell 1000 limited edition uh, pieces of this music album that I've made, this special edition of it. Uh, and, and that in itself is not a very new concept because you can also yeah, get limited editions of all kinds of things. You could do it from, for shoes, for example, for I don't know how long, uh, for, for music as well, for, for lots of stuff. But this makes it a lot more accessible at a global scale. And the, the kind of NFT idea is just a sort of a vehicle to put these things into. And those can be stored on a blockchain as well, so that there's a record again, the proof of the order of events. On this specific day, Patrick was the owner of that NFT. And I can validate that in the data set that we have here historically. So that there's never any question or doubt, or there's no authority that will tell me that you were or were not the owner of it. Yes. And Thank you for that uh, for that explanation. And you know this this space has been particularly interesting to me because you know I, I learned about Bitcoin originally in 2014 and you know have an understanding of like uh, you know blockchain and and things like that. But it's very interesting to see people start to apply this technology to new systems and new methods to you know. Uh, really like, you know, like a lot of these NFTs, like seem like just like a lot of fun and people just trying to find creative ways to use the technology to be engaging. So one example is, uh, you know, there's a project that launched. And I think a lot of these projects that when they come out with an NFT, they have, you know, a limited number of, uh, you know, a limited number of maybe is it tokens like NFTs, like, you know, one that I, uh, explored is it's called like the secret society of whales and it's a bunch of generated whale uh, cartoons with different attributes and things like that and by owning one you have a vote in their community so i don't know what their community consists of 
I don't know what they plan to do with their community, but uh, you know, if there's people buying into this community, whatever it is, by possessing uh, a an NFT and having, you know, and the more that you have from that specific uh, creator from that specific project, the more votes you have in that, you know, overall system, which is just again, it's sort of an application of figuring out how can we use this blockchain technology and uh, make it something that has some sort of application. And now even uh, farther uh, beyond that, there's been a few projects that have launched in the past you know, few months, few weeks, where people are starting to gamify what these tokens do. So it's kind of you know, transforming. You know, I think a good analogy is if you, know, you look at something like Pokemon cards, where you have, you know, it's like a deck of cards. There's a number of different uh, potential cards out there. There's some that are rare because of their aesthetic uh, which we're seeing is like, you know, it's one element of what makes an NFT cool is if you just like the way that it looks. And if everyone likes the way that these look, then that adds some form of value to it. Um, and on top of that, people are adding attributes or different characteristics to that same NFT, which could be, you know, like if you think of Pokemon, anyone who's familiar with that, there's different types and some have an advantage over other types. Some have like a, a higher attack level, some are better at defense, whatever those attributes may be. Uh, and now they're able to, you know, use other, you know, sort of build games on top of these NFTs to be able to simulate you know, having them compete against each other or do different things. And I haven't really seen this in action so much as people, again, pioneering, trying to create this world where you're building a community around people who, you know, uh, are bought into the project, they're bought into the team. Uh, and I think it's particularly interesting because like you mentioned earlier, it gives everyone the opportunity to get involved. This is not really something that, uh, you need to know the right people or do the right thing. Like anyone on the internet, you know, if you have your wallet set up and you have everything ready to go, you can get in at the ground floor like anybody else, uh, as opposed to, you know, like if you think of a, a, a different, more tangible collectible, let's say it's like shoes or something like that. Like if you are a big Yeezy collector, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you can buy them, you know, if you can get them for the retail price from the vendor, from the, you know, direct from the manufacturer or something, that's going to be your best opportunity to get in because you're getting the lowest retail price. But usually what happens is there's a limited supply. So the value goes way up. Uh, and if so, if you're not, you know, if you don't know, if you, if you don't have the immediate connection to getting it at retail price, chances are you're not going to, and you're going to have to pay a lot more on the secondary market to get the same access to that. Whereas with this NFT space, people, you know, the uh, number one, I think most exciting uh, project that's been, you know, sort of uh, leading in the headlines, I say is the CryptoPunks because, they're little digital animated icons, nothing super special as far as, you know, like gamification attributes or anything like that. But there's, uh, there, you know, I think the minimum today is selling for over $300,000. And it's something that if you were there at the time when it came out, you could have had access to purchasing one of these at the, the lowest price ever offered, you know, which was essentially, I think it was just free plus fees. Uh, which now is worth, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars because you have people who are extremely bought into the community, extremely bought into, uh, you know, owning and collecting those artworks, including, you know, celebrities and, and big, you know, more wealthy people. And so it's sort of an opportunity for the everyday person to get involved in these sort of collectibles and, uh, and do so in a way that's never really been available before. You know, yeah, I, I do. I do like I, I, I it does emerge like 
it gives me some worries in some ways because I feel like in, in many ways, if you look at Ethereum, what they've essentially built from, from my perspective is the biggest sort of unregulated casino in the world. Yes. It's very enticing for a lot of people. And what you mentioned, like getting in at the ground floor and, and all the misinformation that's out there on the internet, it's very easy for people to, through good marketing, make a compelling case. And you see this a lot on like YouTube, TikTok, name all the platforms. There's always these influencers talking about what the next big thing is going to be and how many, how much returns there could be on some of these NFTs and investments. And a lot of people will like believe those things and get into it. And sort of that like collective idea of, I could make a lot of money here. Uh, a lot of people get into it with that mindset. But in reality, in trading in general, there's like 95% of the people are losing money and everyone thinks they're the 5% who's not. Or they're like, yeah, but I'm smarter or I'm more informed because I'm in this group or this smart person that has made a lot of money is telling me that I can do it too. So in, in general, and like I try to advise a bit of caution with people there too. It's really easy to get overexcited because it's new tech and it's cool and people are making a lot of money. But you hear about the success stories and sometimes people are are brave enough to write online about how they lost all of their money from trading or from investing in these crazy projects that were not even vetted or audited in any kind of way and where the founders just ran off with a lot of money that happens too because money also unfortunately attracts scammers and and people with bad intentions who uh, definitely don't want to make the world a better place in any way so i try to be cautious there i'm not saying it's all bad uh for sure but this is why the education part is so important for people to get it. And it's kind of like uh, you have this meme or this image where you have two stands where there's a person sitting behind a booth. And in one, you have a really long line, which is like you could put above that NFTs or investments or cryptocurrencies and everyone's in line waiting for that. And on the other side, you have like cautious advice about these things. And there's nobody in line. Nobody wants to know these things uh, in many ways. Uh, uh, well, some do, but it's like the, the quick, short sound bites. Uh, yes. Many people just want to be told, like, what's going to make me most money? Because it's definitely a very money driven uh, space, which is yes. okay. And that's what drives the innovation and gets people to try out these new kinds of apps. And I agree that it's cool that it's like entering the gaming industry a bit as well. Uh, I recently did a piece of research on how things are, are changing there, uh, like what kind of business models this enables. And for a lot of the younger generations, this is like, it's so obvious, it's so self explanatory. Uh, there's so many kids now growing up that for Christmas or for their birthday, they just want a bit of money so they can buy like V-Bucks on Fortnite and buy special outfits that make them look different from their friends. Yep. For all these kids, it's like, it's a no-brainer. And I as well grew up in a game that had its own virtual economy. So I was super used to trading and different assets in there and stuff. And whether that's in the database of a game or now in a global kind of system, you understand the evolution there, but a lot of the principles remain the same about what has value and what is unique. And the, I think the fundamental question that a lot of these people are trying to answer is what makes sense to actually put on a blockchain and to build an app around? What generates value and what will stick around in the long run? Because a lot of the early kind of NFT projects didn't really work out or got like brief traction because they were new and unique. But over time, a lot of them die out because yeah, that wasn't actually something that people wanted to spend time in their day on or where they saw significant long-term value where it could really mean something and add kind of a, some kind of value in the future. Certainly. Uh, yeah. And I, I definitely want to echo your caution as far as, you know, like never spend anything that you're not willing to lose in this digital space whatsoever. And 
uh, you know, we're not giving any investment advice here whatsoever. Uh, but there is something that's, you know, sort of paradigm, sh- paradigm shifting that I noticed with this structure and the way that these, you know, there's all these people definitely trying to uh, create hype and build uh, energy around their projects. And you don't know if they're just doing it to get, you know, sort of that initial return or if they're just, uh, you know, as one term in the industry, they're trying to pull the rug uh, out from underneath. So once, you know, sort of the creators get their, uh, you know, fill their pockets with some money that they just sort of abandon the project and move on. Um, you know, you don't know what that's going to be, but I think ultimately those things will cycle themselves out. And what we're seeing is this opportunity for, especially in this entertainment space, for everyone to be the investor in what's happening. When and when you compare that to the way it works now, whether you look at you know these massive Hollywood movie studios or game development studios, where you know uh, a, a Hollywood studio might invest a hundred million dollars in making some crazy film. Uh, that ends up falling flat on its face and losing, you know, tens of millions of dollars. It, the difference with these NFTs is now that everybody is the investor, you know, like rather than it being the Hollywood studio taking the hit, uh, it could be every single person taking, you know, a few thousand dollar hit trying to buy into a project that they thought would be exciting. Um, so, you know, as I think, you know, some, you know, people build credibility in the space and this, you know, some of the scams work their way out. It's a very, very uh, exciting space to see what could be the future of entertainment of more of a crowdsourced, crowdfunded, trust oriented Mm -hmm. system towards building content that people actually want, which I think like right now we're seeing, you know, in all aspects of that entertainment world in movies, TV uh, and video games that there's almost a dying, there's, less creativity than ever before because people are afraid to make those risks, those large, you know, when you're, when you're expecting, you know, one company to take all that risk on to build a new game or make the next blockbuster movie, they're going to lean towards things that they're very comfortable with, like making sequels and building off of things that worked in the past. So that's just sort of one element that, you know, again, it's an application of the blockchain. It's an application of Ethereum and it's building something that could ultimately flip the way that we look at where does media and entertainment come from rather than being a top down thing from large institutions to the everyday consumer. It can be the consumers building and funding these projects to be exactly what they want it to be. And, um, you know, it's a, it's again, just one of those shifts that are happening because of this technology that, you know, might be very hard to see from the from the uh, from a distance, but as you get closer and as these things start to play out, you know, it's it could be really cool. Yeah, and I think you you touched on the sort of the key difference there with like you talked you were talking about fundraising and for, like a lot of people know Kickstarter and and everything that started and Patreon yep. and all of these other great platforms, uh, and people can do this on there too. So a lot of people would then have the skeptical question like, okay, but then why do we need a blockchain for this? Why can't everyone just use something like Kickstarter? Well, one aspect of it could be the sort of the the, cent- the censorship resistance of it, because if you put everything on one platform, then the owners of that platform can decide, well, you can't like start initiatives around these things because according to the jurisdiction that we live in, that's not allowed. The government says we can't support these kinds of initiatives, even if the people want them. That could be one aspect. You don't have the total freedom to fund whatever you like. And then obviously things like KYC get involved. So they start tracking who you are and what kind of ideas you're supporting. So you get into data privacy issues, which can of course also emerge on platforms built on blockchains, et cetera. But uh, it's a different discussion. 
but that's one aspect of it, the sort of the censorship resistance. The other aspect is what you brought up was in relation to voting, where you don't just buy shares or you support the, the project financially, but you get to vote on the kind of direction in some ways that it takes. And that's still quite early stage because a lot of projects are, are realizing that in theory, that sounds great, but in practice, many investors just want to make a return and hope to sell it on to the next person. And it, it's like having shareholders in your company that are actually not interested in, in connecting you with interesting partners or helping you to get to the next stage. They just hope to make a lot of money. They're not very useful shareholders. And you see this return too in many of these crypto projects where they get investments from people that just want to make money thus they don't vote. And then yeah, the community that's left there that's actually passionate and active is only representing a small amount of the vote. And you might have like 15% of your shareholders that are actually voting on what you should be doing. And it's a weird kind of feeling to make decisions on, especially if in some cases there are single investors that even have 20% of all the funding in your project and they could immediately overrule a thousand other investors that say, no, we wanna have this other thing. So it's quite tricky there for people to try to figure out how can we set this voting up in a good way. But there's, yeah, you see potential there of people being able to collaborate on the kind of ideas and the things that they do want to take risk on uh, in a way where nobody else can tell them this is or isn't allowed. And beforehand, when stepping into that, that's, I think, one of the most important parts of a blockchain in general is that everyone knows what the rules of the game are. I grew up in a world where I didn't know what the rules of the financial game were. I didn't understand the financial system. And if a lot of people would have a say in how it works, it might look very different, but we don't. We just have to use it. But in a blockchain, when you step in, when you start using something like Bitcoin, everyone can learn how that system works, what the rules are, what makes it tick. And if you don't like it, you can use something else. Nobody's forcing you to use that. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of it that uh, just makes it so accessible for everyone. You know what you're signing up for. And that's just so much more powerful than growing up, never really learning in school how things truly work. And then you get your first job and you realize like, oh, I'm going to have to work things out for myself and like grow up and, and figure out how all of these things work. And as you get older and you learn more and more about the world, you see how messed up of a place it is. And yes, yeah, it, uh, you learn many lessons. Well, fortunately, we have the opportunity, you know, we have this exciting space to sort of compare our, our existing systems to. And again, you know, like you said, huge shout out to the people that are in there doing the hardest work, solving these super complicated problems, because they really are building the systems of the future. And the people, if you are excited about this stuff, and if you do see yourself, you know, if you do get excited about this stuff, you can dive in and there's no barrier to entry besides the internet. You know, if you can uh, get online and you are passionate about this, you could be potentially building systems of the future that, uh, you know, are much, much better than anything that our ancestors ever dreamed of for where we're living today. So yeah. it's incredibly exciting time. Again, you know, everyone has to exercise caution when making investments in this space, but, uh, you know, it's really cool that, you know, this is happening and, Again, you know, sort of if you place yourself in the timing of it, you know, I usually find that the best opportunities in anything is early on. And that's why, like, I was really excited to learn about NFTs last week, bought my first couple expecting, not really expecting a return on them, but just to sort of dabble, get some skin in the game. And, uh, but I'm really, you know, excited that we were able to have this conversation today as well. So that, you know, you know, hopefully I, I sort of, 
uh, geared this towards imagining my parents listening and, and just learning, you know, sort of from the outset, Bitcoin, blockchain, and, and working our way up to sort of some of these future applications and things that are happening that are quite exciting. Um, yeah. So I appreciate the work that you're doing tremendously to share this information and accelerate the transition to these newer, more exciting, and potentially much better systems. And yeah, you know, keep keep up what you're doing. I'm really excited to see where this goes, and I'm excited to see sort of like what that next turn in uh, revolutionary technology is for you. I mean, what uh, what do you have on the horizon? What do you have coming up next? Where where do you see this going, and what excites you the most? So what excites me the most is like it, it's sort of a like as you were mentioning earlier it's a paradigm shift in making people a lot more aware of what kind of world we're living in and it's not just blockchains doing that it's the internet in general uh so that excites me a lot that in general people become more financially literate they become more aware of all the things that we can do together in the world we can do a lot of good too if we can put our heads together and focus on the real problems so this technology enabling that is what really excites me and I just try to do as much research as I can and write things about this and speak to people, uh, educate them in general. And I work at a company called Block Data where we do this. So we, we focus on the blockchain space in a broader sense. And we constantly come out with research. We have a newsletter as well to sort of keep people up to date on all of the things that are happening, what these types of applications are, how businesses are adopting it as well, and what some of the interesting companies are and what kind of things they're building. So just looking at it from that perspective, and I think to, to elaborate on your point earlier a little bit, where you were saying like, it's it's interesting to get involved now and to look at it, uh, and, and thanks to all the technical people, just good to keep in mind that you don't have to be technical to get involved here. And you also don't need to be money-driven in some way or hoping for some kind of return. It's just in general, if you're someone who's interested in what the tech can do, then there's a lot to learn and a lot of sort of adjacent topics that you will learn a ton about that you never really uh, understood previously. So it's a very enriching experience in general for your life. And there may be plenty of people who aren't quite sure like, yeah, what is it that I want to do? What do I want to learn? Uh, where do I think I can add value? And in that sense, there's tremendous opportunities here too, to figure out all kinds of ways to get involved. Yep. A hundred percent. I would recommend really anyone, like if there, there's a few sectors right now in the marketplace where if you get involved, you're, you know, and you really stick it out for five to 10 years, you're essentially guaranteed to, uh, do be a part of something really exciting. And, and, you know, usually with that comes the potential to have like a, you know, really lay the foundation for a, a prosperous career. And I'd say, this space is hands down one of the coolest, most exciting places to be and to dedicate your time and your life energy and everything like that. And, um, couldn't recommend, you know, sort of, you can never really learn enough about this stuff at this current time. So Sam, I appreciate what you're doing again. Really, really love, uh, you know, your content and for the audience out there, can you tell them where to find you on the internet? Sure. Uh, so as mentioned, the company I work at block data, blockdata.tech is the website. And for me personally, if you're interested in following some of the stuff I say, I'm on Twitter at, at SD Wouters. Uh, you'll probably have to read my name of the show title, but uh, you can find me there. Excellent. Awesome. Well, it was a real honor to have you on today. Thank you for your time. And uh, let's stay in touch. I'm excited to see where all this stuff goes. Sure. Thanks for having me, Patrick.
Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.